0: Welcome to Help from Future Soul
1: Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's that conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. As always, two Keyforge friends here to cast at you, but in a way that we never have before, taking an interesting, uh, I think, focus that we've both been thinking about in the game and bringing it out to the podcasting public. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge coach, the person that I talk to about about. about KeyForge the most, and the person who has an amazing amount of insight on this particular topic we're going to be talking about, it's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake?
0: Hey, man. How's it going?
1: So now that I've hyped it up a bunch, why don't you tell the folks about the one card which we are focusing on in this episode, something that we've never done before, never done a single card focus?
0: Well, this week we decided to talk about a card that came on my radar, I think, I have to say the person who really put it into perspective for me was uh, Nathan from Tabletop Royale. Uh, he mentioned it to me when I was doing a stream about the way it works and the way he's been using it. And then I did a unboxing of a deck, and then I asked the folks on my YouTube if they wanted me to do a deep dive with it, this deck, and they said yes, and this card was in that deck. And I decided to use it as a point of, I guess, interest to make the whole deck revolve around and this card we were speaking of of course has to be there's no other card is the common from Logos called auto encoder
1: it's an incredible card now we we kind of wanted to start things off with kind of what might be a contentious statement but we think that we can back it up we believe that auto encoder is the best common in mass mutation Keyforge, bar none
0: agreed And Alex, why don't you fill everyone in what exactly Autoencoder does in case someone has not come across this card, which I would feel very rare if you've been opening Logos in any sort of uh, capacity.
1: Yeah, I was actually shocked um, when I started looking into it, how many decks I had with it, especially too because it was showed up very early on in some of my decks and I don't think I paid it much mind. And now I'm going back to revisit those decks and I'm really figuring out, oh, this is a cool combo with Autoencoder. Oh, this is a neat thing that goes with Autoencoder. So it's a Logos Artifact. It's an item. That's its trait. Very simple, very straightforward. No action, no nothing. It's just after a card is discarded from your hand, archive the top card of your deck so on paper like that doesn't sound that great but it's once you start digging in on how mass mutation works that the incredible value of autoencoder starts to become clear
0: Hmm. indeed indeed for me uh like i said i was doing a, a a deck a deck deep dive so i i basically committed to open this deck everyone said it looked cool and i decided you know what i'm gonna play 10 games with it and then report back which uh you can find also uh, at my YouTube now. And I decided to use, like I said, Auto encoder as the, the point of interest and use this as the main way I'm going to target playing the deck. And doing this kind of made me realize this and then share this with Alex and be like, hey, do you have any Auto encoder decks? I think you should maybe try this out too. And maybe we should do a cast on it. And that's kind of how we we got to here.
1: Yeah, so basically the challenge we had, and we started off trying to figure out what kind of advantage Autoencoder provides by saying, let's pick a couple of decks and let's hard mulligan for Autoencoder so it can be out at the whole game. How was your experience doing that, Blake?
0: So when I did that, I I think the latest I ever got it out was turn five, was the very latest I ever got Autoencoder out. And my experience with it was that I noticed that the way my deck was composed is that I had a lot of creatures in both Logos and in Sanctum, but my Shadows House had only five creatures and seven actions. And I think it's safe to say most of the Shadows creatures have a a very kind of vanilla quality. They don't have strong play effects, or once you have played them, uh, sorry let me rephrase that they they seem to have either a very strong play effect but not strong effects once they hit the board mm-hmm. uh, you can you like for example'm talking about bone thing rad penny once they're on the board you don't really look to reap or do anything with them as much you're kind of okay with just one and done so I started looking at them as maybe I don't want to put them on the board because I I know it's gonna be rare that I'm calling shadows as much so I started to utilize this theory of well, why don't I just pitch all my Shadows creatures, only play the actions because they generally have Ember, and then set up bigger turns for my other two houses because of all the archiving that's going on? That was the mentality I had uh, as I started to get to know this. And it just created this interesting thing where the concept of a, of a quote-unquote bad card in your deck did not hold the same meaning in a, as if it was in a deck that did not contain Autoencoder. How about yourself?
1: I had very similar experience. Um, I didn't have as much good fortune getting autoencoder out in my games. I found that oftentimes I could get it out early, but it would get taken out by artifact control. I think word is spreading that auto encoder is a hot card to have on the table because it seems like people targeted it an awful lot in the games I was playing. But the games where I did get it out and where it stuck, especially with certain decks that had a high number of cards that were either things that I would want to discard or otherwise things that uh, allowed me to discard. So I'm thinking of cards like um Sacrobot in Logos that allows you to reap, discard a card from your hand, draw a card, etc. cetera. Um, it was providing a tremendous amount of value, and it was exactly the thing you just said, Blake, which is the idea of, all right, I'm looking at a, a handful of Shadows cards, for example, um, and uh, I'm looking at this card and I'm going, you know what? Um, Splinter doesn't have any value in this deck. Like, his value is that he's an enhanced card who puts enhanced icons on other, other cards, but he's a one-power creature with no play effect, no reap effect, no fight effect, What value is there for me putting him on the table? And you start weighing the equation differently. Because normally, if you're not playing autoencoder, yeah, of course. Like, you you always put a creature on the table because maybe you get a reap out of them. Maybe you get a fight out of them or whatever. But suddenly, the equation becomes, is it worth it for me to put down Splinter and maybe get some value out of him at some point down the road? Or is it better for me to discard him into my discard pile and cycle my deck that much more? One, I'm drawing a card into my hand at the end of the turn. And two, another card is coming out of my deck and into my archive, which I have access to next turn as well, if I so desire it. That's a huge advantage. And it's not a way I had ever thought about playing the game before.
0: Yeah, totally. I was in the same boat and. It was just ridiculous the way you could do that. Like the all those cards that are the 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 quote unquote like mutant you know procedurally generated cards based on the other houses in your deck. There's quite a few that have the the fight or sorry the reapability of discard a card from your hand, draw a card. So if you think about that alone, you're gaining an ember, you're discarding a card, so that means you're thinning out your hand. Then you're archiving a card, and then on top of that, you're also drawing a card. Like the value from that one action with that particular creature is just outstanding with Autoencoder. It really creates a very, very strong, um, like it, it just creates that strong element to those to those cards that, you know, they're pretty cool. But with auto encoder they become on a whole nother level.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. We're also thinking about things that have uh, a lot of value in logos with auto encoder. Obviously, if you're playing auto encoder, unless you've got a Maverick Auto Auto Encoder, you're playing in Logos, and there's a ton of drawn discard abilities in logos. So, you know, we mentioned UmbraBot, who's got the Reap discard a card. Xenobot has that same ability. We're talking about Novu Dynamo, which incentivizes oh, you to discard a logos card every turn. But then automatically, if you're doing that with Novu Dynamo, you're gaining an amber, you're keeping that Novu Dynamo. Dynamo on the board, and you're getting to archive a card. Plus, it also allows you to archive out of your uh, discard from your uh, archives. We should note here that AutoEncoder only applies to cards that are discarded from your hand, not yes. from your archives, which is a mistake that I made in play without realizing it. Um, uh, you know, If you have the option to discard from your archives because you're using Novu Dynamo, it will not count with AutoEncoder. But yeah, like, it just instantly creates that. And then there's like Logos but I want to go
0: back to stick with Novu Dynamo for a mm-hmm, minute here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's actually Novu Dynamo and Auto Encoder is the best combination that exists with Auto Encoder, strictly because not only are you like doing this whole discard a card at the start of your turn, but as you're doing the discarding anyways, you're actually putting things into your archive, so it actually creates a higher chance that you have logos cards in there that you can utilize with Novu Dynamo. So it it's they have a really nice, I find, symbiotic relationship, those two. And you always have to, like we mentioned last cast, I believe, keep Novu Dynamo in mind when your opponent's at five ember and that's on the board, that they're actually in check. And you got to treat it that way because they can just discard that logos card, get that extra ember and they're forging.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um can you think of any other really cool combos with auto oh, encoder yeah. for me my first big one and this was a deck that uh i opened when you and i were playing a socially distanced game a couple of weekends ago is one that has the archivist with auto mm-hmm. encoder and it's also got ways to get the archivist into your archive and that one to me is is like my my if not my my absolute favorite autoencoder deck, it's up there. It's not a super winning deck in that it doesn't really have juice for big bursts or for heavy amber control or for heavy board control. But the sheer fun of having a second hand that you have access to with the Archivist without having to draw your whole archive every single turn is a ton of fun to me. You have any fun combos like that?
0: Not as good as that one, but I mean, the Archivist, I feel like is like the dream card. You, you want to make it work so badly, but unfortunately there's so many times you get it and it mm. just, it doesn't have the, the juice to be something. So I can see why that's just so fantastic. For me, I really like sloppy lab work with it. Mm. Just again, you're getting to archive a card from your hand, discard a card from your hand, and then you're also throwing something else into the archive. So you're just really creating that ability to cycle Very strongly with it. And it also is great for because in this logos, we have things like standardized testing, we have effervescent principle, and then you have things like opposition research. And there can be times in a game when, when you have those cards in hand, they're actually quite useless. And you're like, well, I can't really play this. It doesn't, it's not going to do anything. So you're like, oh, but now I can discard it. And and just archive it, and guess what? Because I'm doing it this way, I'm actually cycling through my deck faster, which means I have a higher chance of getting those cards again later in the game when you need something like a board wipe or to prevent your opponent from reaping because they've established a board, or even to make half their ember go away because they're about to be in check for the third key and you need to just push that that envelope a little bit further. It creates that ability here not only making cards that you have no use for in this moment have a value for cycling faster. It's creating the fact that you are cycling faster to get those back again.
1: And that's one of the coolest things I think about it is the fact that, you know, I mentioned shadows as, as I think one of the most complimentary houses for it. And it's because, you know, with, with, absolute and total respect and love for house shadows there's a lot of conditional cards and just hit the table uh with no special effect cards in shadows this round that i don't have a problem throwing away if i'm not getting anything out of them this turn like it's what we were mm-hmm. talking about a little earlier with that you know is bow nithing before your opponent forges a key worth putting on the table probably not to be perfectly honest, unless you think mm-hmm. you're going to call shadows and get a reap out of it. You know, it's a two power creature. There's nothing else about it, but throwing it away. And like you just said, getting back to it sooner because you're cycling your deck faster. That has tremendous value. And in addition, in addition to that, there's also lots of cases of things like heist night. Um, I'm thinking of also tempting offer, which is oftentimes not something that you want to play an individual moment. Perhaps it's not the right time for you to play the sting. Um, you know a splinter who i mentioned earlier there's all kinds of cards that just there's not a good moment for you to play them and they might in fact actually be you know uh, disadvantageous for you to put them on the board that suddenly there's a tremendous amount of value in just getting rid of them get them out of your hand cycle your deck faster
0: 100 percent. one thing that i also had uh down was like there there's a lot of like other houses that have discard abilities too so you can have the ability to not be in logos and still use this like we've been focusing on a lot of logos cards but it's happening no matter what so there's a lot of discard that exists within your other houses that you can utilize as well so you may not have the strongest logos house but it may be your other houses have this really strong discard ability and it just i don't know it just changes the way you can look at your deck it's no longer like what deck cards do I have? It's now, okay, I have actually quite a few deck cards, but I have really strong houses in these other two. So now you're like, okay, I want to get auto encoder out faster. So then I don't have to worry about those cards when they come. I know they're just going to further fuel the ability to get everything else I want.
1: Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Indeed. I think one of the, the, the major changes in perspective that it offers you is that value proposition on, is it you know, where 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 is the value in this card in this moment? Is it on the table? Is it getting played and then going into my discard? Or is it just leaving my hand? Where is that value? And that's a huge change in perspective on the game. And it's one that's always going to be dependent on the deck you're playing. And of course, the scenario you're in. That's common to every single Keyforge deck and every game of Keyforge. That's not going to be a consistent thing, but the more I find that you play with a deck that has auto encoder, the more you start to get a proper feel for when and where. You want to discard versus when and where you want to actually play the card. And so it starts to become a thing like, all right, we were just talking about those shadows cards, but I can also think of it in terms of let's talk about uh, in untamed, right? Like uh, if you're looking at some cards in untamed, like say vaults blessing that might offer your opponent more value than it offers you. If we're looking at things like resurgence, when you don't have any creatures that you want to bring back or that you can't bring back because you don't have any creatures in your discard and so on and so forth. Those are easy. Easy enough decisions, but I'm also super interested in sort of uh, things like commune that might offer you like a one amber advantage in certain scenarios and whether or not you want to play it just to play it and get that one amber or whether or not you want to chuck it over to the side. Do you have like a thought on one amber? Is it worth it to play a card for an amber over discarding it to get that card into your archives? And does that change over the course of the game? Because I found that as I was getting towards the end of my deck, as it was getting lower, and I was really trying to cycle through to a discard, I would actually throw out some cards that might offer me like one amber just so that I could cycle my deck a little bit faster in some scenarios.
0: I think it goes for like, if you're in a position where you know your ember control cards, are you either haven't got some of them yet that are really crucial or you need to get back to them. I think that's where it comes into play because you're not only you're discarding a card, which means your hand is now smaller. You're also getting a card out. So I think it's which gives you a higher chance of pulling it because not all you're going to draw. It could also be in your archives now. So I think it, it matters with what you're looking to find in that moment. Uh, for sure, I think that's that's where it comes into play. And are you actually in a race where you know you don't have a lot of Ember control, so therefore you actually need to push that envelope of of staying in, of consistently generating Ember? I think you have to take that into consideration.
1: So Ultimate Dream Combination, I think... Is punctuated equilibrium 100%. with auto encoder. I was
0: just thinking that,
1: <laughs> yeah, because a uh, punctuated equilibrium is basically discard your entire hand, then refill their hand as it were there, uh, as if it were their uh, draw card step. Let me ask you the question, Blake. Your opponent's got auto encoder out. You've got auto encoder out. Do you do it?
0: Um. Uh... I think it, it's this is the classic key, for which it depends what's in their deck, like what they're going to draw. I actually had someone use it against me before. I've actually had, I've been punctuated equilibrium with auto out and afterwards it was on TCO, and they were just like, "Oh damn, like did that just happen?" I was like, "Yeah, you did." It was against Ryan, actually, our buddy Ryan from Seattle. He. He, I think actually, no, he didn't do it. And he said he had it in his hand since turn one and he couldn't play it because I dropped autoencoder right away. And he was just like, man, I couldn't play my punctuated equilibrium because I knew you're essentially getting 14 cards from this. So it was just like this. Actually, it's even more. It's 21 cards because you're discarding or uh, six. So 18 because you're discarding six. You're then archiving six and then you're drawing six. Ugh. So that's just wild to think about in that moment. Um, and then you were mentioning before Resurgence. There's, I saw, I can't remember who it was, but someone mentioned this cool thing with Autoencoder and Resurgence where you actually discard two of your untamed oh, creatures. One, yeah, yeah, you didn't mention that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah you, you, you discard your creatures and then- Yeah, you tell it then. It's your story.
1: Well, basically, I have a deck wherein I had uh, a couple of creatures that I could use Resurgence with in an early turn um, that I didn't actually care about getting onto the table very much. They weren't high-value creatures. I think it was like Toad and something else, like something else I didn't want to play that much.
0: It was Gloriana's attendant, I think you said.
1: Yeah, I think it was Gloriana's attendant, so no bonus on it, nothing. You know, it was just a one-power creature. Maybe I'll get a reap out of it, but that's not that valuable if I'm not planning to call untamed anytime soon. So it was literally auto encoders out of my first turn, second turn discard uh Gloriana's attendant and uh toad and then resurgence to bring them back and then discard them again so I got to archive four cards with that use which was a remarkable thing that I had never thought about but created a tremendous amount of value for just like especially early in the game giving me big card advantage where suddenly I could you know pull my archive and pull off a big turn much earlier than my opponent could which was very cool.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, that's super cool.
1: So Is there a danger, do you think, of over-discarding? Because I found that there were moments where I wasn't 100% on whether the discard wasn't the right choice. And so I made a little rule with myself, which was the, if you're not sure, don't do it. And I'm not sure if that's holding me back in my big auto-encoder plays. What do you think about that as an idea?
0: Uh, I didn't follow that rule. It was literally, I literally had like, I was, I became... Well, I was testing the same deck every time, and mm-hmm. I did ten games with it. So i I got very comfortable with with when I was using it, and it was basically like, "Does this have value now? No, I'm just going to discard it because I'm going to go through it that much faster." With my Shadows House, I was ruthless with it. Like, I would I would literally have a card. I'm like, "Oh, but I could put this down and get a reap out of it." Like, there's a Gamgee in it, for example, and I would be like, "I'm not likely to call." Shadows again. And if I do compare to my other two houses, it's a less efficient turn. So I was just like, forget it. And I just pitched it. I think there was a couple times I ended up playing Gamji when I noticed I was getting behind and I and I was looking at what are the shadows left in my my uh my deck. That's one thing I noticed I found I was doing is I was becoming more cognizant of the the distribution of houses left as i was doing it Mm -hmm. so i knew what i would be potentially archiving more of because i think that actually does make a difference i think i was much more conscious of what the distribution that was left how would i possibly what is my likelihood of drawing into it slash getting more of am i going to be playing a shadow's turn again soon as a result and then then going that way so i haven't looked this much at composition of houses left Uh, in a really long time compared to when I've been playing this deck.
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting aspect of it, and one of the ways that it warps your understanding of the game. I mean, I think it was Nathan who talked about the idea of committing to discarding in Mm -hmm. this, because I think that oftentimes as players we have the mindset of, you know— there's there's always going to be value from putting a creature on the table because maybe you'll get a reap out of them. And that commitment oftentimes means going against things you've programmed yourself to think and believe, but only in cases where autoencoder is out. And that's a weird change of behavior that I wasn't 100% ready for. And that's why I think I got very gun shy when I was working th- these autoencoder decks for our tests in preparation for this episode. I was always looking for, all right, what are my low value cards so I can think about discarding them? And then I was doing a lot more hemming and hawing about whether or not i wanted to play them uh, or whether or not i wanted to throw them out and i think that you know just getting past that mental block that commitment to i have auto encoder out i want to move this deck faster let me get the maximum amount of value out of my hand and then get rid of anything that i'm not getting a, a large amount of value out of or that i am only getting potential future value out of just so that i can make the auto encoder more of a focus that's an interesting mental block to get past
0: hmm. For sure. Yeah, I, I felt I felt kind of the same way. Like you, uh, it, I noticed that at the beginning, I was that way. And then the more I did it, the more I understood how I guess these cards were not helping me get to the game state I wanted to. Uh, so that that was a big thing was I was like, Okay, this is not helping me get to that point. Because I, I just keep Like in the early stages I was playing certain like especially the shadows creatures I was saying and I was like, Wait, why am I playing these? This this isn't helping me. And my deck does happen to have a tempting offer in it. So like I was in that position a lot where I'm like, yeah, even though this has an ember, I don't really want to give my opponent an ember right now. I don't think it has any value in putting this creature. It was I find tempting offer is such a weird card because Mm -hmm. you're you're hit with the fact that you're giving them an ember. And then sometimes their creatures can have good playability. So you're like, well, I can't even use this because their creatures have playability so this this is a uh, very situational uh, i think unless you're going against a sanctum or saurian house the value of tempting offer seems to decrease quite a bit
1: tempting offer you need to have like it's it has to be a critical target it either has to have a ton of amber sitting on it that you need to bounce to get all, mm-hmm. all of or it needs to be a creature that must leave the board or else you're screwed like i think yeah. those are the times for tempting offer most of the rest of the time it's not worth it
0: yeah I would agree
1: Um, uh, but you know there's enough high value cards that you might get it out of it but it's weird how many times I've been stuck in that situation with tempting offer of just like it's turn 2 am I supposed to play this now and like bounce my opponents I don't know like you know (laughs) toad or whatever back to their hand (laughs) or tremble back to their hand what value is that providing me Um, as opposed to auto encoder on turn 1 allowing you that for the entirety of the game so I guess sort of to move towards the end of our conversation, I'm not 100% convinced that you need to hard mulligan for it, depending on the deck. I think there's some decks where you definitely get a tremendous amount of value out of it. But oftentimes I found in my test games, when I didn't get it in my first couple of hands, it would come around eventually. And at those times it was well worth it for me to have it out. Um, There's a couple of decks I have in which it provides little to no value. Um, The reason for that being that they are very heavily play and play effect cards And uh, action cards or enhancements that offer bonuses in various Mm. ways. So it's very rarely a case where I don't want to actually play the cards. So it's kind of a dead draw or a dead thing to have sitting on the table. And it's mostly just discouragement from your opponent playing cards against you. Um, And that's not even an aspect we've talked about. Like, this instantly becomes discard uh, ability hate against your opponent. If people are playing subtle auto against you, suddenly you're getting value out of that. Which may mean that they want to discard their card exactly
0: yeah it's very true
1: um auto encoder battles are interesting that way do i make my opponent discard a card with subtle auto or do i discard it myself and get the value out of my auto encoder Mm -hmm. i i guess it's just uh, the the appeal for both of us i think is very similar in that you and i i think are both very much people who play a lot of keyforge And I like having our assumptions about the way the game should be played and the way we think about the game being challenged. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to Quixel decks. I think that's one of the reasons why you're very drawn to Autoencoder is that it changes your entire mindset and gives you further insight into the game. It gives you further insight to card value. It gives you further insight into when things should be played and why they should be played. And it challenges you to actually consider the things that I think we've oftentimes taken for granted as people who've been playing for a long time and have absorbed a lot of information, or a lot of knowledge, but haven't necessarily re examined that as new sets have come out and the games have changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment Help from, Help future, from future Self. Future self. I've got one for us this week. A little bit of a reminder from way back in the AOA days, um, and a, a sort of a more broader uh, thought about turn sequencing. Is uh, when you're going through your hand, thinking about your turn and the way you want to play your turn. It's always important to think about turn sequencing, and that's I think a broad, general piece of knowledge that most people you know don't need to be reminded of, or at least the very least, you know, a good casual reminder. In the same way that we always remind people to you know drink some water, do other things that are good for for your general gameplay, but watching out for Alpha and Omega. Um, as they figure into your turn is a mistake that I still continue to make to this day. I have a deck that I play frequently that's got Heist Knight in it. And Heist Knight's an interesting one because you know, it requires a very specific board setup. And I find that often what ends up happening is I archive it or I hold it until I have such a time as there's uh, more than one thief creature on the board so I can get a good value steal out of it. But if you don't remember to play it, as the very first thing that you do, suddenly you're chaining yourself down. It's been a long time since I've really given hard thought to alpha effects. Omega effects are a little bit easier in that you know they make sense to go at the end of your turn, but oftentimes alpha cards are styled in such a way that they don't seem like they have to be a thing that gets played at the beginning of your turn. They just happen to have that signifier on them. So just a reminder, look for alpha and omega effects. Consider how that factors into the way your turn is going to be played and uh you know as just a general rule take a breath at the beginning of your turn look at the cards in your hand and think about what order you want to play them in before you start playing
0: them. yeah i like it i mean it's funny that you mentioned this card because it's also in my auto encoder deck that we've been discussing now
1: (laughs) i imagine that got discarded a lot
0: it does but it also ends up in my archive so it makes me sometimes think about okay i'm actually going to play these thieves because they're here and that sets me up to to have a steel turn as another means of ember control so it it also works with autoencoder encoder because you're getting it stored so it's it's kind of a it's a unique thing but i'm i'm totally with you on that i I think i actually have misplayed it but then my auto encoder is out so i'm just like oh whatever i'll just discard it instead (laughs) and archive a card so uh, funny that you mentioned that one of all cards
1: yeah i mean i I think it's one of the ones that uh, you know sometimes is very very valuable and oftentimes is totally valueless which is very appropriate Given uh, we're talking about a card that provides value to valueless cards, so uh, you can of course find us on social media. We are at uh, HFFS Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at SCSI Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on the Crucible. Where can they find you, Blake? And also, what else do you have going on in the Keyforge world?
0: Oh, uh, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight, that's B L V D Paper Fight, as well as my YouTube, which is actually probably the best way to get more into my mind and KeyForge is go there and i have a stream for twitch every single tuesday night where i play decks i crack each week i've been doing these would you rather videos which were inspired by of course our segment would you rather where i open two decks go over the analysis and then pose to you as the audience which one would you rather play and then on tuesday night i put them to the test and uh, as I've been mentioning how I did a video to go over this deck that has auto encoder you can also find in the show notes here I'll put a link to that video going over the deep dive on this auto encoder deck so you can get some more insight because I've really only scratched the surface here and yes, check out my youtube Tremendous!
1: I really like this format. I'd like to do some more card-focused episodes in the future, and I have some cards in mind that I would love to talk about. Hint, Yeah. But with that said, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it so very much. Thanks to everybody who gives us shout-outs when we run into them on The Crucible. Your listenership means the world to Blake and I and Rick. Um, We will be back at you next week with another episode, and until then, stay close.